This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Plus, auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Quote now at Progressive.com to see if you could save. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May of 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun, and that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com. There's no place to escape to. This is the last time. On the left. (laughs) That's when the cannibalism started. Then these hostages for the cult got their eyes plucked out. They got a bandage wrapped around their head, and then they all had to fuck the sow woman and, and come. The whole thing was just like, will you not open your mind to me? Which meant, will you come inside this woman with a goat's head a place on top of her head? And then she leaned over some railing, and a fucking baby fell out of her guts. And then this weird, wispy-headed woman came and picked it up with and it's like licking its face. I'm just sitting there last night and I turn it off and watch Mr. Robot. <laughs> all right. Welcome to the last podcast on the left, everyone. I hope you're keeping all of that in, Marcus. <laughs> yeah. Henry regaling us with, this, with the movie that he watched alone. Baskin. The story of, the, of how ice cream can really fuck you up. <laughs> is that what it's about? No, I wish. It was a Turkish horror movie that is about a bunch of police officers stumbling into a hell realm, not unlike... Uh, uh, Event Horizon. Okay. Uh, very um, cool. Was very, it's cool. It's awesome. It's great for when your girlfriend leaves town. <laughs> yeah. Because you just got, got to drink a bunch of scotch and watch it alone. Oh, that's oh. exciting. All right. I'm Ben Kissel. This is the last podcast on the left. That's Marcus Parks. Hello. We have, uh, I guess, lonely Henry Zabrowski, or <laughs> what are you doing with your life right now? Stag party Henry Zabrowski. <laughs> no, it wasn't a stag party. I watch all, that's what I do. That's what it, that is what a, a happily coupled man stag party is. I watch all the mm. things that are too intense for my girlfriend to watch when yeah. I'm alone. It sounds like you watched a Turkish snuff film. <laughs> yes. Which, yeah. It's very similar, but it had a real guy with the deformity in it. That's cool. That's yes. open. They're really celebrating diversity over in Turkey. Yeah. Except for women have to walk behind the men, <laughs> and most of them lose their virginity to prostitutes. The men, that is. Yes. yes. And they fuck chickens. They fuck yeah. a lot of chickens. I don't know if that's always true for Turkish people. And also, maybe I don't know how good it is because I've never tried yeah. it. What's but the story well, with chicken pussy? I don't know. It just seems like a bunch of claws scratching my inner thighs <laughs> while I got a dirt-covered screaming bird kind of lurching up and down on my cock doesn't really make me want to shoot ropes. Kissel, how do you feel? I don't know. I mean, every every creature has its purpose and God gave them to us to use. So you think a chicken's purpose is to be cum inside and then slaughtered I did not say that. Cows are meant to be eaten. That's all I am saying. You can infer what you will. I think cows are are meant to be tipped. (laughs) 
They wouldn't stand so tiff. It's so stiff. Oh my god. Uh. That brings me back to some good Wisconsin cow tipping memories. Um, oh my god. Okay, so today we're covering a uh, a cult. Yeah, we're and, coming back to cults. And remind everyone, I do want to remind people I have a Wisconsin tongue. <laughs> so this will be difficult. The name of the cult, um Shinrinkyo. Wow. Did oh, I do it okay? You know um, shit. Shinrink- no, but you were um close. Shinrinkyo. Shinrinkyo. Uh, um. Shinrinkyo. Shinrinkyo. Um, um Shinrinkyo. Okay. Now, what we're trying to do here is a new uh, approach to big hitters. I feel like a lot of the times we're going to always go back and do your classic serial killer, but this is a time to really cover a an, an entity that's killed a lot of people. Om Shinrikyo is a group that was a terrorist group in the very end, in the very beginning, being a totally awesome, cool fucking anime-based cult. And I would have, I would have joined an anime-based <laughs> cult. Yes. And now, Marcus, just really quick, in context, Waco, Texas, David Koresh, they have nothing on this guy. Absolutely, absolutely nothing. I mean, nothing. like, well, because Waco was, I mean, comparatively, a uh, fucking kindergarten. Yeah. You know, like it Waco, was they had nothing. some guns, but they were trying to protect themselves, and they were just losers. They were a bunch of Texas boondoggle losers. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, leave them alone. <laughs> um, but these is a gr- this was a very uh, this is a nefarious group, and yeah. they had a gigantic. Corporate structure. It was worth by the end. It was worth almost a billion dollars. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Om Shinrikyo Death Cult, otherwise known as Om Supreme Truth. Woo! Good. Uh, That's a fucking cool ass name. Yeah. He's good. And you could sell. Would say what you want about Asahara, but he's very good with names. Absolutely. They actually still operate to this day. Although its salad days were a span of 10 years from the mid-80s to the mid-90s. And that's not the funky Greek salad days. Those are the, <laughs> those are the very refreshing side house salad days. Yeah, yeah. They were led by the charismatic and chubby Shoko Asahara. The cult's apocalyptic visions came to fruition in 1995 with a deadly sarin gas attack on the Tokyo subway system, killing 11 and sickening over 5,000. It's really mm. interesting how you can um, really see the apocalyptic visions come to light when you make them happen. <laughs> right. Using billions of dollars and manufacturing your own chemical warfare agents. It, it is something that you can just kind of bring on yourself, huh? It's like how I want to, like, oh, I have a dream of learning to play, play the guitar. You know yeah. what I mean? Hey, I got fingers. Mm-hmm. I should put them to the strings. Yeah, At absolutely. the same time, what I've been doing is I pay a little boy to play the guitar, and then I just pipe that over me playing it on video. Do you, do you pay him, though? Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm a job creator. That's good. Now, although that death toll, 11 killed, 5,000 injured, that seems high but the attack fell far short of what they hoped to accomplish. If they would have been successful, mm. the death toll would have dwarfed that of the 9-11 attacks. Wouldn't even, wouldn't even have come close. Well, I mean, it's kind of interesting. It's almost like, um, you know, when an election goes into, uh, you know, like next day you have to wait for the results. There was 5,006 people. Uh, 5,006 people. Yeah. I mean, they were crossing their fingers being like, if 2,000 die, we got <laughs> boom, ourselves boom, a hell of boom, a death. Boom, 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 boom. Any bada death? bing, bada boom. And he <laughs> keeps saying something like that. We got this, we got that. Oh, and we're talking about and then I'm sorry to report, sir. They're getting better. We're going to learn that this is the end result of a Byzantine plan that Asahara had to possibly spring World War III and uh, make the U.S. government attack Japan. Well, that always turns out great for Japan. Yeah, exactly. It's extremely convoluted. Uh, But what follows here is one of the most bizarre and bumbling cults that we have ever covered. Let's start with the early life of the great guru himself, the leader, Shoko Asahara, or as he was originally known, 
Chizuo Matsumoto. Now, is it Chizuo or is it Chizuo? Chizuo. I, d- I am also not going to do an Asian accent. <laughs> you aren't? I am not going to do an Asian accent this entire series. No, you have to do an Asian accent. Well, maybe I don't have to. <laughs> this is one of the times you can do it. Maybe I don't have to can do it. <laughs> we'll see what will come out of my mouth. <laughs> All right. Now, Chizuo was born in 1955, the fourth son of a weaver who spent his days manufacturing tatami, the straw mat that are traditionally used as flooring in Japanese homes. They sound uncomfortable. They sound extremely uncomfortable, like most things Japanese. And Chizuo grew up dirt poor in a dirt floor shack with the family subsisting mostly on sweet potatoes. Like most of East Los Angeles. (laughs) Now, Chizuo was born blind in his left eye and was only partially sighted in his right. He was indeed bullied by neighborhood street toughs as a child, but when he was sent to a state school for the blind as a teenager, the tables were turned. Because his parents got a discount. You basically... It's the truth. You get a check from the government if you send your blind to the blind school. Because the Japanese blind schools, it's like, you know, they're teaching them to, like, fade into shadows and shit like that. It's all like, what's his name? Stick. Yeah, from Daredevil. Yeah, Stick is doing all of the teaching over there. So it's all stuff about not disturbing the bells. (laughs) It's very intense schooling over there. But the truth is, is that he was kind of lumped in with his truly blind brother. So he was the living embodiment of in the land, the man with the one eye in the land of the blind is king. (laughs) In the land of the skunks, the man with half a nose is king. king. (laughs) Dirty work, great movie. Yeah, since Chizuo could kind of, sort of see, he had a huge advantage over his classmates. They pretty much became his servants. He would make them go out and buy his noodles and his cakes every day, and he'd never pay them. Chizuo was a bastard. <laughs> yeah. And this is what we're going to learn later on, too. He is probably the world's largest dickhead that <laughs> mm-hmm. ever was. He's if Charles Ng went Super Saiyan, right. to be totally Asian about it. I do like that he's on the noodle and cake diet, very similar to Jared Fogel's prison diet, which is kind of nice. He would also play this game uh, in blind school called Pro Wrestling, where he would take two blind kids and teach them how to do wrestling moves. And if he felt they weren't doing them hard enough, he would stop them and show them himself. <laughs> and that is true. And he yeah. used to come in and literally be like, ah, most important deathlock you are doing, young sapien. Oh, mm. I see that you are not doing it with enough veracity. I will show you how to do it with most mercilessness. Right. And, no, and one of those students grew up to be Haku from the WWF. <laughs> no, Chizuo, he could not have been given a better education on how to scam people. The upper hand that he mm. gained from having just a little bit of, si- of sight enabled him to hone his bullying and manipulating skills in ways that he couldn't have done anywhere else. What he would do is he would offer his services as a seeing eye boy. And this is the truth, is that he would go and he would say, do you want to go to the barber? And they go, oh yes, very much so, Chizuo. <laughs> and he says, oh, then one can only trust the way I lead by shoulder, hand to shoulder, young sapien. <laughs> and he says, oh, thank you, young master Chizuo. And they go and he would lead them out to the street and then he would drop them off to his haircut and then he would get his traditional Japanese bowl cut because you had to get it or <laughs> you were Flogged yeah. by a police officer in the street. <laughs> yeah. And then he'd come out of the barbershop and, and literally be like, Chizuo would like wait on the curb and be like, 
How does young Sapien get home, I wonder? Chizuo wonders aloud and says it to young Sapien. And he says, oh, how abu- I thought that was kind of a part of the deal that you were going to take me home when I was done with my barbershop quartet. The guy's b- bowl was very accurate today. I can feel it with my hands. He's like, oh, young sad Sapien, it is quite slanted, your, your bangs today. But no, 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 you must pay me money for me to lead you back. And that's what Boom. he would do again and again. And he you would, know, he would it manipulate seems like them. he's actually offering quite a service. I got it. I mean, does, I think he deserves some money. I mean, he deserves some money, but he tricked him into it. Yes, he didn't tell them that they were. Well, then to they could just be blind and stand on the street. <laughs> I mean, I, I, say, I like this guy. He's a small. He's an entrepreneur. You're, this is the very. That's a very. The, this the most true Fox News interpretation you've had. <laughs> yeah, of the story it really so far. is. The freer the market, the freer the people, huh? <laughs> yeah, no. In the land a- of the blind, <laughs> the man with one eye is the entrepreneur. No, I mean this man really is a uh, like. He is a success story. He is one <laughs> hell of an entrepreneur. Well, he grew up saying he wanted to be prime minister. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He event- he uh, had a career mm. in politics, or at least he had his sights set on a career in politics first. He was also very, very good at math. It would say, yes, and then mm. in school, what he would do is that he would give candies and sweets, and he would run for class president every year, and he'd never win. And he, would, went, he went up to his teacher, and he said, you have been telling students falsehoods about me and smearing my name. <laughs> and she's like, no, the one's voting you for class president because everyone is afraid of you. Yeah. <laughs> and that's the truth. Yeah, they were absolutely terrified of him. Uh. And his math skills combined with his con artistry when he graduated high school, he had $30,000 of cash in his pocket. It's very impressive. I came to New York with $750. Yep. <laughs> now, within a few years of graduating high school, Chizuo had moved to Tokyo and soon after married a homely but rich woman named Tomoko and eventually fathered six children with her over the years. Mm. And using his wife's money, Chizuo opened the Matsumoro Acupuncture Clinic and began a long career of bizarre and, most importantly, Expensive treatments and cures. My question: In okay, so now he's in the the, the normal world. Let's say. Well, he's in Tokyo. Uh, he's, he's in Tokyo, in but he's not surrounded by world. blind people. Yeah. Uh, who's going to get acupuncture done by a guy who can kind of see out of one eye? <laughs> it Isn't seems, there a bunch of needles involved with that? It seems like you didn't yelp enough. Yeah, <laughs> but actually, uh, the the truth is, is that in Japan, the blind do a lot of these jobs. There are a lot. They, they the blind a lot of times work in the massage and acupuncture in, uh, industry because hmm. they do it by feel. It's sort of sensual. Yeah. In a way, I yeah. would kind of. Can in you imagine way. though? It's kind of sexy to be with like a blind Japanese woman who's just like, "Oh, where'd you stick pin, young kisser? But, oh, no, oh, do you, are these two anacondas? Oh no, these are your. Legs. You made it thirteen minutes. God damn it! Not bad. No, I liked it. I was getting into the fantasy. Marcus, why did you ruin my fantasy? My eyes were closed. I forgot it was Henry. You didn't even think. You weren't even thinking about no. it, were you? No. But no. What? What were you going to do with my anaconda? I'm, the fantasy has uh, been broken. Man, up. Sorry, Kissel. Did I become a slender young Japanese well, woman to you for a second? No, you weren't slender, but you were young. <laughs> <laughs> no, the first bogus, bizarre, uh, expensive medicine that Chizuo created uh, was called Almighty Medicine which was simply tangerine peel and an alcohol solution. But his con artist skills were more than on point, for he was able to convince people to pay for orange peel and alcohol 7 
$1,000 for a three-month treatment. Mm. See, now we call that mixology in the Lower East Side. <laughs> right. But just the money would not be enough for Chizuo. For 1984, Chizuo would found the organization that would eventually evolve into his death cult, the Ohm Association of Mountain Wizards. <laughs> the Ohm Association of Mountain Wizards. It's yeah. cool as fuck. I don't know <laughs> if it's cool as fuck, Henry. I think by no. definition, it's nerdy as shit. <laughs> it's like the best prog rock name of all time. That is what you want your prog band to be called. I, but technically, it is just a conference room full of st stinky bearded Japanese men. I'm fairly certain if you just went up uh, to a Japanese person and called them a mountain wizard, that would be a racial insult. <laughs> I just feel like Mountain Wizard, it has some weight to it. Thank you, Mr. Kissel. Most honorable title you have bestowed onto me. Thank you, thank you, thank you. That was my I intention. I dip my head in honorable mention to you, oh, giant of Mount Fuji. Very nice. <laughs> now, Chizuo's first move was to take out ads in Japan's Twilight Zone magazine, extolling the psychic powers one could attain by joining the Ohm Association of Mountain Wizards. Now, this is not Rod Serling Twilight Zone, this is Golden Earring Twilight Zone. <laughs> Mm. Yeah. Uh, Chizuo claimed that he himself was blessed with the powers of perceiving past lives, reading minds, passing through walls, meditating for hours underwater, and of course, his ace in the hole, levitation. This was his bit. Yeah. Yeah. I could see him doing the passing through walls thing if he just constantly like tries to find the door by walking into walls, walking into <laughs> walls, going right, and then finally he makes it. Through the door, walks right through. He's like, I walk through the wall. <laughs> Technically, Boom. he's blind. He doesn't know. He doesn't know. Right. He doesn't really know. And, to, and the, but problems also. He's blind, so people are like, bless his heart. Bless him. Every time he, oh, he's just, he can be like us. <laughs> they are just as strong as we are. Every time he walks through a door, I just walk through the wall. Well, that wow. is just he wow. lives. It's like his whole life is a fairy tale. <laughs> Now, eventually, Twilight Zone magazine did a full spread on the fledgling mountain wizard, which showed a photo in which Chizuo appeared to levitate a few inches off of the ground. And how Chizuo managed this is actually almost as impressive as actually levitating. Using an expert yoga technique, Chizuo was able to use his thigh muscles to propel himself from the ground high enough for the photographer to take a convincing picture. Right. No. <laughs> That's what he did. No, he just had strong legs. <laughs> no. He had strong legs. He could flip himself up in the air, and they took a really quick flash shot to catch him midair, like, no. like what they used to do to prove Larry Bird could jump. <laughs> yeah, he couldn't really do it. No, but this was this was the 80s, right? Yeah. They were, they, the cameras were slow. <laughs> no. It took, few, it took like two seconds to get a good shot. No, oh. no, it is not no. the 1920s. Yes, yes, yes. No, it's no, not no. a long exposure 1920s. <laughs> yes, it it's like was. It's moving, a, it blurs. It's not a crank operator. Remember the 80s. You know nothing about photography. <laughs> you know what, though? I didn't expect him to, and that's not on you. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> no. This levitation picture worked like a charm. Soon, the studio apartment where the mountain wizards began could no longer handle the volume of students coming to learn from the master, and separate branches began to open up in major cities all over the country. Uh, this is where he will get his first kind of like validation. His first that, taste. Yeah. yeah, that if we can use the media to present ourselves, like he became very savvy 
at, at marketing. Yeah, he's sort Where, of the Lucille Roberts. I don't know who Lucille Roberts Lucille is. Oh, one Roberts. of the most successful gym uh, companies of all time. It's like the least, it's the gym where women are least groped at. <laughs> yes. And so it's very popular. That's why they go. But is Lucille Roberts like a half-blind, huge woman sitting in the back room being like, Yes. Maybe we should provide spin <laughs> classes every two hours. Yes. So that both people without jobs and with day-to-day jobs can enjoy spin class. That's why she's the best. The best gyms in the city. Yes, Master Lucille. <laughs> now, at first, Tezuo was a fairly affable guru. Soft-spoken as, as David Kaplan says in his book, The Cult at the End of the World, of which much of the research on this series is taken from, Chizuo knew just as much about Mr forces as he did about baseball. Now, it's this, he did he know a lot about baseball? He knew a shit ton about baseball. Like, he was the cool guy in the neighborhood. He's where, blind. <laughs> right, it's a different It just sounds like a You listen baseball. to the radio. Well, baseball, in your head, it sounds like a... Whoa. 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 And he's got around in the bases. And he's just sitting there like, what are bases? <laughs> are bases turtles that they allow to stand still? And the same woman just being like, your life is just poetry and emotion. It yes, it is turtles if that's what your imagination wants them to be. Should be. Texas Pete is a sauce and allows you to sauce like you mean it. It's what people gather around. It's generosity in its simplest form, and it's a swagger people have who know what's good. Each Texas Pete hot sauce is packed with bold, balanced flavor. This signature tanginess is what makes it a legendary hot sauce that can be used on just about anything. It's been at the center of dinner table since 1929 and is still heating things up today. You're definitely going to want to try Every flavor. The original hot sauce has a famous secret blend of fermented peppers. The hotter hot sauce is three times hotter than the original, and not for the faint of heart. Sabor by Texas Pete adds authentic Mexican flavor, and their dust-dry seasoning matches the flavor of the original hot sauce and a flavorful dry rub. Tell you what, the other day I was having myself a good old refried bean burrito, and I wanted a little bit of kick to my morning, so I got myself some cha, Texas Pete sriracha sauce, and I smothered those refried beans and that cheese and them eggs and a whole bunch of cha. And it started off my day correct. Texas Pete, sauce like you mean it. Visit TexasPete.com and use the store locator to find Texas Pete products as well as purchase sauces and get recipe inspiration. And use the promo code PODCAST24 for 20% off at TexasPete.com. This podcast is brought to you by Squarespace. Finding work-life balance can be tough. But Squarespace gives you the tools to reach your goals and have time to celebrate. Squarespace is the all-in-one website platform for entrepreneurs to stand out and succeed online. With the new guided design system, Squarespace Blueprint, you can select from curated layout and styling options to create a personalized website optimized for every device. Get your website discovered fast with integrated, optimized SEO tools. Plus, make checkout easy for customers with easy-to-use payment tools. And with Squarespace AI, you can explain what your site is about, choose your tone, enter what you need, and get auto-generated text. And that helps you save time. I know I'm sitting on about two literal wheelbarrows filled with Horse pics. Now, part of the issue has been is a lot of these pictures are getting stopped at customs because some of them do depict various world leaders in horse-like circumstances that seems to be 
pinging a lot of these custom agents accounts. Now, so what I've done to do is like, so while I'm trying to work on hand smuggling these horse picks over various country borders, I then also have time because Squarespace is doing all the other ad work for me to go and work on my killdozer at home. So thank you, Squarespace, for allowing me to diversify in the best way possible for this country. Head to squarespace.com for a free trial when you're ready to launch. Go to squarespace.com slash left to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. One in five Americans have learned a new language on their bucket list. If that's you, make 2024 the year you finally check it off the list with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors. It's a waste. Don't waste hours on apps. Besides appetizers, that's the kind of apps I like. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Did you know that empanada is already Spanish? I didn't. Thanks, Babbel. Did you know that burrito is already Spanish? Wow. I just got to learn all the rest. And eventually, I'm going to be eating downtown Mexico. Thanks, Babbel. Here's a special limited time deal for our listeners. Right now, get 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash left. Get up to 60% off at babbel.com slash left, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash L-E-F-T. Rules and restrictions may apply. The most important thing to remember about Chizuo's followers, most of his students were being directed to the Ohm Association of Mountain Wizards from one place. Twilight Zone magazine. Put simply, nerds. Yep. Absolute and total nerds. And it was here that Chizuo realized who the bread and butter of his cult would be. And although he would eventually attract some of the most brilliant Mm. scientific minds in Japan, he essentially started off with extremely lonely otakus. Now, what does otakus mean? An otaku is somebody who pretty much lives in an inner world. It, it pretty much started off as a term for, like, computer nerds who really uh, lived in the computer world, but it's kind of expanded to somebody who pretty much lives in their entertainment. And I, so, think- like, I mean, seriously, is it autism? <laughs> is that what that means? I mean, I'm not even making a joke. Are they like aut- a type? Or is it a type of autism? It's a, it's a no. It's a very Japanese thing. It's a very okay. Japanese term because in Japan, uh, you've got to realize like Japan is one of the most crowded nations on the planet. They've got uh, four times the population of California living in an area of the exact same size. Tokyo mm. is. Uh, I guess you could call it like a megaopolis. It's like it's Tokyo's like, me- like New York on top of New York. Exactly. Mm. And so people in Japan, especially in the cities, they very much value what they call their inner space. And they right. value private time. Yeah, their private time. They're actually like they value their home. And some Japanese people go even further into it. And they just live inside this fantasy world, even more so than a lot than some people can here in America. Right. I mean, it's a word much- they have a word for it, Otaku. Okay. They're also very much more they're dedicated. And they're strong, and they work hard, and they're a little bit more obsessive. Yeah. And the, and the yeah. people that he, but also specifically the people he got into the beginnings mm-hmm. of this cult. And it's also true, which he's going to use more and more later on, is that he's going to put the sexy chicks up forward. He had one. It's like he had one woman named Hisako. 
Ishii that became sort of the prototype of all of the mm. women that would be in Om Shinrikyo later on. And she was a very hot woman that was a devotee to him that started in this first cult and the Mountain Wizards cult. She would show up and do all the tax work for him. Ah, hmm. I see. And, and so they, uh, so a lot of these nerds saw a hot chick out front and they're literally like, oh, I go in there and then, oh, then I can make the, the pushy pushy with my stinky stinky <laughs> oh, anytime I like because she gets me. I see. And exactly. that was unfortunate because later on, they were not allowed to come anymore. Oh, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, these were anime nerds, manga nerds, computer nerds. You know, one observer described it as, quote, a world that combined primeval fear with a computer-controlled version of reality. Hmm. Virtual reality made real. But it wouldn't be long before this collection of dorks and dweebs looking to escape the drudgery of modern life in Japan would turn into something very, very different. Now, while meditating on a beach on Japan's Pacific coast, Chizuo received a message from God saying, I have chosen you to lead God's army, Chizuo. <laughs> and later that year, a man he met in the mountains told him, Armageddon will come at the end of this century. Only a merciful, godly race will survive. The leader of this race will emerge in Japan. And that is when a Big fucking light bulb went off in Chizuo's head. When he returned from the mountains, he changed his name from born old Chizuo Matsumoto to the much more impressive sounding Shoko Asahara, and he officially declared himself as the leader that will emerge in Japan mm -hmm. and lead the new godly race through the other side of Armageddon. This is why I don't let my friends change their names. <laughs> no. Never. Never. I'll never buy it. Never. It's like, you'll always be Ben Kissel me. I don't care when you go as No, I want to be Harry Sahara. Shear. Oh, I think you're going to go yeah. as Harry Shearer? Yeah, I want to be Harry... It, That's taken. There's a person named Harry Shear. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Quite famous. Uh, yes. When I was talking about, so when he went up on that mountain trip, he showed up. He was just like, I'm going to learn how to do Because at this time, too, Shoko was kind of bouncing around in Tokyo. Before mm -hmm. he had, as he had started the beginnings of the new cult, he had tried to become a lawyer for a while because he, his idea was still to become prime minister. But he sucked at anything that was normal. Yeah. And then his acupuncture mm -hmm. school, when he was at that first school that he was at when he was doing the Matsumoto Acupuncture Academy, got sued because people realized that he was bilking them and he lost $7,000 in, in, in some big fucking to-do and it bankrupted him. Yeah, because they found out that he was just rubbing a pineapple on their backs. Pretty much. <laughs> um, and he didn't even know it was a pineapple. No, he, didn't, he thought it was a needle. Yeah. And so the, he took this retreat up this mountain at the beginning of the Mountain Wizards cult and kind of went up and then two days ahead of schedule before it was over he comes bouncing down the mountain being like, I've become enlightened. And all of the gurus that are there are being like, no, I don't, <laughs> no. I don't think you have been. But uh, I, I mean, we can't tell you not because inherently we're groovy. Yeah, yeah. But I don't think you're enlightened. No, mm. absolutely not. And this is when guru mode goes into full effect. And from now on, we will be referring to him as Shoko Asahara. And. Asahara, he cultivated a heavy beard, became, became a heavy man. I don't like. And I like the way you write cultivated. He didn't shave. <laughs> no, you got cultivated. You can cultivate a beard. This was not Obviously. cultivated. You can totally cultivate a beard. <laughs> His was not right. Park Slope every like time, beard balm yeah. like like cultivated. Every beard. time I'm drunk for a week, I'll just be like, No, Marcus, I was cultivating a beard. It sounds like you're cultivating a drinking problem. Uh, it could be that too. He also became a very heavy man and 
and started wearing the ivory white robes of a holy man. Mm. Soon after, he also changed the name of the organization from the Om Association of Mountain Wizards to the much simpler Om Shinrikyo, or Om Supreme Truth, mm. as it translates to in English. And he went full religious with it. But those who stayed were all in, and the true madness was just beginning. Now, to truly understand how the Om Shinrikyo cult was able to dupe so many people, you've got to understand religion in Japan in the 20th century. Well, we're looking at, in the 1980s in Japan, it was very similar to the 1960s in America. And, and also the 1920s in America, where we had gigantic spiritual movements. This is the very peak of one of these waves. Yeah. Well, it kind of started, like, by the 1930s, like... Buddhism and Shintoism, which for hundreds of years had been Japan's main religion, they had been all but stamped out and replaced by state Shinto, in which the emperor of Japan was worshipped as a living deity. But after we spanked their pants off with the two of our big rippling, big knuckly knuckles. Twice. Nagasaki, Hiroshima. We fucking dropped those Woo! bombs in 1945. Woo, go Truman! <laughs> I think it's horrible what we did. And, we, and it had we the ripples of that it has affected us from then on. Yes, no, you could argue it ended the war quicker and saved thousands of lives. Absolutely not. The Russians, they were about to uh, surrender. The Russians, the were Russians weren't going to surrender. No, not the Russians. The Russians were going to conquer the Japanese. The Russians were coming in. Yeah, we're going to Russia. Have to yeah, we got bear in our sushi. Contain <laughs> the Russian. Contain the Red Scare. <laughs> That's why we dropped the bomb. Thank God. <laughs> <laughs> so the emperor, after the bombs were dropped, he surrendered both the country and his godhood, which kind of left Japan in a kind of like spiritual lurch. It's kind of crazy that you can retire your godhood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. He actually did have to come out and say on the radio, I am not a god. So the 1970s ushered in what David Kaplan referred to as Japan's spiritual rush hour. And with Japan mm. being the world's second lar largest economy at the time, hundreds of new religious groups set up shop to take advantage of all of this disposable income, and none more so than Om Shinrikyo. Mm. Om Shinrikyo's basic business model was actually modeled after an existing Buddhist cult named Agenshu, who recruited followers from magazine ads and used a cable TV station to beam out, quote, healing psychic mm. power. Asahara took everything that he know, he knew from beginning guru lessons from the leader of that group. He was a yeah. part of that group. And he was in there, and he was just like, oh, I can do this. I can flip this. He literally was just like, oh, this guy's not doing it wrong. He needs pizzazz. I got pizzazz because right. I only got one eye. <laughs> and it's true because so, it's a great marketing technique as a guru to be blind. Yeah, so it was sort of like the tech boom in a way. And he's the Google. Actually, he's the I, one who lived. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there was a spiritual boom. Uh, and he was the one that survived throughout. But even more important uh, than and the, I guess, psychic powers and the cable TV ads. The most important thing that he really learned was Agonshu's insistence that all cult members cut ties with their families completely. Perhaps mm. the most essential technique in the cultist handbook because it, it insulates followers and it narrows their worldview to the point where the church is their entire world. Right. It's a term called ideological totalism. This is from a book that I read. This is also detail heavy and but very, very interesting. It's academic book called Destroying the World to Save It by Robert J. Lifton. It's about Aum Shinrikyo. 
Thank you, Midtown Scholar, for sending so many amazing books it's, on this It's subject. incredible, and this book is really, really good. But this kind of, he breaks down the idea of the totalitistic, the totalistic community. And this one, the most basic tenet is this tenet, which is called milieu control, or milieu control. Milieu. Milieu. Milieu, milieu control. Milieu. In which all communication, including even individuals' inner communication, is monopolized and orchestrated so that reality becomes the group's exclusive possession. Yeah. So right. the idea is that you you literally you can control their outside world by keeping them in a place. You take them mm-hmm. physically away from their families. You feed them only a certain amount of food. You let them sleep on only certain amount of hours per night. And then what that does is break down your own inner dialogue then as well. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the micro is an abusive relationship, right? Where the guy cuts off all the relationships with the with the woman's family, and then yeah. but but we have something together that's just us. And of course, it becomes very toxic very quick. Absolutely. And it also allows the cult leaders to create a new norm. Normal for these people. So if they if they have this worldview narrowed down to a pinpoint, then eventually the cult leaders can convince them that anything that they say is normal. Mm-hmm. It's like, yes, this is the life. This is our life. This is how it is. Now, as far as the actual religion itself goes, Om Shinrikyo was a lot like a lot of the New Age religion religions that's flowed around over the years, Buddhist, yoga, meditation, etc. But Om Shinrikyo had a twist. At the center of it all was Shiva the Destroyer, the Hindu god who, in certain interpretations, is responsible for the death of all things. And you add to that the Judeo-Christian concept of the end of days that Asahara picked up from a cursory reading of Revelations, and you've got what the Japanese call Harumageddon. Yeah! Ooh, that's awesome! Yeah! <laughs> and he will use this as the elite motif of the entire cult, like Charles Manson did with the race war, and mm. Jim Do- Jim Jones did with the government's going to shut down our perfect society. He is using the Harumageddon mm. as the uh, the storyline yeah. of the entire Om Shinrikyo cult, and we're going to see how. Um, he wrote the ending himself. Yeah. Hmm. Now, Asahara's apocalyptic predictions began in 1987 based on what he said was astral vision and intuitive wisdom, which he combined with a healthy dollop of Nostradamus prophecies. He was obsessed with Nostradamus. Yes, yeah, because uh, Nostradamus had just been translated into Japanese in the 1970s. Yes, mm. which is also very interesting because it's another connection to Jim Jones. Jim Jones was also connect- was uh, obsessed with Nostradamus. And he was looking at Nostradamus, he saw the passage that said after the big destruction, quote-unquote, that the next leader was going to come from the East. And as soon as he saw that passage, he's like, I'm going to use this as my high school like English paper reasoning as to why I am the guru. I am mm. the I am the savior from the east. Mm-hmm. Nostradamus, Nostradamus. <laughs> mm. Let's go with Amadeus. <laughs> now, Asahara predicted that nuclear war was going to break out somewhere between 1999 and 2003. And the only way to stop it was to insert a Buddha into every nation on Earth. Oh, that's so generous. So he's going to have a different Buddha in each country. That's incredible. Well, he's going to have a different Buddha in each country, but he's the biggest oh, Buddha. Oh, he's, he's the guy. The, oh, it's him. It's he's, all oh, him. No, no, there are Buddhas. Like, think of it as Buddha franchises. Oh, yeah. like Santa Claus in the mall. Like Lucille <laughs> Roberts. <laughs> so if before 1999, if every country had a Buddha with Asahara, 
Imahara serving as the central Buddha ruling from Japan, World War III could be averted and Asahara a guarantee. And that's an Asahara guarantee. Oh, wow. <laughs> and, and he was actually quoted as saying that. He's like, World War III will be averted. I, s- I guarantee it. That's what he said. He said, I, th- I will base my religious future on this prophecy. Like the yeah. dudes from Men's Warehouse? <laughs> yes. Yeah. You're going to love the revolution. I guarantee it. You're going to like how the seals are open. I guarantee it. <laughs> and this would be one of... The first of many apocalypse solutions that Asahara would put forth over the years. The, now, the apocalypse, that would be the through line of everything, but the details would change that's depending he, on... Yeah, I mean, that's God, where he got real Robin Williams with it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Where no. he was just blowing it out. But he would just throw whatever worked. He was yeah. in, like Charles Manson. Yeah. At the end, you're losing them, you're losing them, you're losing them. I gotta toss new shit in here, I gotta keep it fresh. Mm-hmm. Now, as far as credentials went, Asahara claimed to have the personal blessing of the Dalai Lama. And amazingly, amazingly, he did actually meet with the Dalai Lama, which apparently was not that hard to do in 1987. You could just show up. But the Lama Hmm. said that Asahara was much more interested in how to structure a religious organization than he was in reaching enlightenment. Hmm. And in the words of one monk who remembered a visit from Om Shinrikyo, Asahara and his followers were, quote, very unpopular. Which is very difficult in the Buddhist world <laughs> yeah. because I thought Buddhists inherently don't care about anything. <laughs> yeah. Um, but what's also interesting is that he would do this throughout the history of Aum Shinrikyo is where he would show up with world religious leaders and world leaders and just get a picture taken with them. Yeah, and right. then he would pop it out and then have followers write articles about these leaders telling him how proud they were of his service to the world. I have a totally different picture of this guy now. We see these people all around the entertainment industry. Legitimately. If you ever go on somebody's Facebook or Twitter or Instagram and it's just them with pictures of celebrities, they don't know those celebrities. They do not know them. They just get the picture and the celebrity's like, thank God that creepy creeper is gone. Yeah. And then they boast about how they knew all these people. Yeah, it's very creepy and just a little sad. And Um Shinrikyo and uh, Asahara, he was totally of that ilk. And it works. You know why? Because again, he's dealing with nerds. Yeah. Right, and so right. they see these pictures of him with the Dalai Lama and they're like, man, he's pretty cool, isn't he? <laughs> right. You know, they don't know. Now, after that trip to see the Dalai Lama, Asahara wrote and released the first of many books, The Secrets of Developing Your Supernatural Powers. And in a hook that would catch many a gullible fish, an ad for the book said, Spiritual training that doesn't lead to supernatural powers is hogwash. That is very strong language for a publication. (laughs) And the book did promise plenty of supernatural powers. How to read the future. Read people's minds. Develop x-ray vision. Levitate. Take trips to the fourth dimension. Hear the voice of God. And more. But you can imagine all this instead of them as being suggestions that they're orders. Yeah. (laughs) Read people's minds. Develop x-ray vision. Which just sounds like Asahara's father. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Now, as people started showing up, so did the money. After he started releasing his book, that's when shit really starts blowing up for him. And Asahara started off comparatively cheap compared to the money he would eventually make charging just 350 bucks a pop for psychic sessions that promised not only miracle recoveries from injuries, but also a 90% win rate on all future Mahjong games. Man, he would have made a <laughs> killing in Boca Raton. Yeah. 90% win rate. 90% win rate. Yeah, that's great. 
This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It says here I have to talk about something I need to get off my chest, and I guess I can share it here. I, I eat mayonnaise for fun. It's a hobby of mine, and it's an addiction. And it's a daily weight on my life. How much I need whipped egg whites and oil crammed into my veins. As soon as I wake up, and a lot of people carry around a lot of different stressors, big and small. Some people are presidents. Some people are soldiers. Some people have to eat mayonnaise, especially with hard-boiled eggs, which is what I eat for lunch. But I guess I should share that in therapy. Because therapy is a safe place to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. And what I do is I just add eggs if I have mayonnaise left over. I just continue to add the eggs. But if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. I hope they can help me. My God. I hope they can help me. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash LastPod today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp! H-E-L-P dot com slash LastPod. How many platforms do I work on? So many platforms. Can you believe it? Google Docs. Work on that. Very complicated. Lots of different things going out. Clickety-clack, right? Slack. Saying things to my employees. All my, all my, my main doldgers walking around here. It makes sure it changes cluck to the word I meant for it to say to everyone. But I try to say not curse words on Slack. What am I supposed to do about it? But Grammarly doesn't fix curse words, does it? Because Grammarly's too good for it. It's too classy. It's Grammarly is an AI writing partner that helps you get work done faster with high quality writing. Because better writing means a stronger impact. The pen is mightier than the sword. Except when the sword is in the room. 96% of Grammarly users report that Grammarly helps them craft more impactful writing and suggestions based on your audience goals and context. Can you believe it? And data privacy and security are woven into the foundation of Grammarly. It's in its goods. All right. So Grammarly's great. Use it. I use it. I love its gentle harassment of my writing style because it does help me because sometimes my thumbs are faster than my eyeballs. Don't quote me on that. Get AI writing support that works where you work. Sign up and download for free at Grammarly.com slash podcast. That's G-R-A-M-M-A-R-L-Y dot com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Hi, did you know Fast Growing Trees is the biggest online nursery in the U.S. with more than 10,000 different kinds of plants and over 2 million happy customers in the U.S.? They have everything you could possibly want, like fruit trees, palm trees, evergreens, houseplants, and so much more. Whatever you're interested in, they have it for you. Find the perfect fit for your climate and space. That's one of my favorite things about it. Fast Growing Trees makes it easy to order online and your plants are shipped directly to your door in one to two days. And along with their 30-day Alive and Thrive guarantee, they offer free plant consultation forever. Now, personally, I'm in the middle of re-landscaping my yard. I like to do it myself because I called up a landscaper to see how much it costs and it was absolutely insane. Plus, I love dirt. I love getting my hands in the dirt and I love planting things myself. And Fast Growing Trees has given me some wonderful plants that I can use. Like I got this uh, Texas sage, purple. I've dug up a whole bunch of horrible bushes and shrubs up in front of my window and in front of my house and put some purple Texas sage up there and it's going to thrive and it's going to look real good. And I don't even have to go to a nursery to buy it. It came to my house. 
And this spring, they have the best deals online, up to half off on select plants and other deals. And listeners to our show get an additional 15% off their first purchase when using the code LEFT at checkout. That's an additional 15% off at FastGrowingTrees.com using the code LEFT at checkout. FastGrowingTrees.com, code LEFT. Offers valid for a limited time. Terms and conditions may apply. So by the end of 1987, Om Shinrikyo boasted a membership of over 1,500 members mm. spread across every major Japanese city. And recruiters were told to believe any and all supernatural stories in a, that a prospective member might tell them. Like they would ask them, it's like, has anything spiritual or paranormal ever happened to you? Mm. And when someone would tell them any sort of bullshit story, the, reason, the uh, recruiters would say, you were most likely a trainee in a previous life. You are innately at a higher level. And if you were to just come and train with the Om Shinrikyo organization, your supernatural powers will increase and all of your dreams will come true. And that's also a Scientology trick as well. Yeah, I mean, what else did they have going on? <laughs> I would, I, if, I'm in Japan, it's, it's the 1980s, I got nothing happening. Why wouldn't I go join this cult? I don't know. I mean, seems like a hell of a time. Yeah, do you have a minimum amount of $700? I can't do it this week. <laughs> you know what? Isn't that, I was thinking about it, but I'll wait to levitate next year. Also, one of his head trainers was a boy that basically grew up within Om Shinrikyo. His name is Yoshihiro Inoue. And he was 18 by the time he came to, he, he became a trainer, became one of the inner circles very, very quickly. And they said that he had this ability that he'd walk in rooms and light bulbs would explode. And like 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 lights would go, all this weird shit. And he was known as like the, the, the boy that was like the poster child of being like, you too can be like me. As you see, I sit above this chair. Oh, no, no, no. Certainly not sitting on toothpicks, I am. <laughs> right. I am levitating. Because he walked into a room and threw a bunch of pennies at the ceiling and popped all the lights out. Now, like I said, the minimum amount to join the cult was 700 bucks with larger donations coming with gifts such as personal photo sessions with Asahara or private lessons from their leading disciples. The highest level, set at $2,000, got members two gallons of Shoko Asahara's dirty bath water. Ugh. If you just, I want you to right now to stop the podcast and look up, look up a picture of Shoko Asahara. Yes. This man's feet. In the water <laughs> that you are going to be sucking down, and you have to go. Oh, thank you, thank you. His <laughs> strands of his long dank hair. Well, in you it. could do I whatever get... you wanted with it. You didn't have to drink it. Yeah. You had to drink it. That's what he said. <laughs> in the end, yeah. that's what they insinuated. They're like, yeah. oh, you could just keep this around, but uh, if you drink it, sometimes it gives you a boner. <laughs> uh, I got to give him credit for just having the the uh, the ego to be like, they will buy my bath water. And they did. For two grand. And by the way, if you would like to receive your very own bone fragment from my family's ranch, go to patreon.com slash last podcast on the line. Please also give start, most generous. I'm going to start collecting the shower water that drips from my stomach. Uh, so that'll be about five, five K an ounce. Oh, Kissel. There was nothing. There's no limit to the money I'd spend for just the thimble full of your belly drippings. You're going to get it. <laughs> now, of course, the entrance fees were only the beginning. The early moneymaker for the cult came in the form of so-called initiations, the first of which was called the blood initiation, mm. all of which came with a bump to the initiate's quote-unquote spiritual level. Which is good. It's appealing to nerds. It's points. Yeah. Yeah, so for $7,000, as many as 30 people at a time would participate in a mass ritual in which they would all drink 
three spoonfuls of what was supposedly Shoko Asahara's blood from a wine glass. And that blood was supposed to give them, quote-unquote, magical properties. You can throw up at any time. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, they never actually said what the magical properties were. Of course, that's how you do these things, that you stay vague with all of it. We saw a TV appearance, I sent it to you on YouTube, of uh, Shoko Asahara explaining how he can transfer energy into a woman and how it gives you spiritual powers and how spiritual powers are the meaning of life. He would say sentences like that that make no sense like all the time. Yeah. And so what he did was this woman laid down on the ground, he's on the news, and he was just like, I'll show you what I can do. He took his thumb, put it on her forehead, and she just went, like in a porno film. <laughs> oh, I see. And jiggled her bits a little bit, and they didn't blur any of it out, which thankfully I didn't feel like a pervert after watching it, as I feel every time I watch an Asian porno. Yeah. And she kind of just flipped around on the ground and then, and, and then popped up, and the TV announcer was like, so how do you feel? And she's like, I feel good. Yeah. It was just yeah. like the laying of hands. Like you've ever yeah, yeah, if you've yeah. ever been to a Foursquare or Pentecostal church or anything like that. It's just like when they lay hands on people and they start crying and talking speaking in tongues. Yeah, yeah. It's all the same bullshit. And the Catholic Church just got too large to use real blood at their uh, for communion, <laughs> so they had to switch it up to wine. It doesn't travel well. And this blood initiation, it was only the first of the twenty initiations the cult offered. The holy hair initiation involved drinking tea brewed with Asahara's hair. And Miracle Pond was, again, Asahara's used bath water, and that was sold for up to $800 a quart. I gotta give this guy credit. He is his own business. He's just farming his body. Yes. He takes his hair, he uses his bath water. No collateral. No collateral. There is no no product. No overhead here. He's not making anything. Um, what's really interesting too is that one of his initiations would so we would do again in order to get to this inner circle you had to have you, the only way you could get true enlightenment was one on one on one with the guru yeah and so you could spend something like eight thousand dollars so you go and hang with him and you have this this like what you did not know was an LSD initiation where you would sit and share a cup of tea with Shoko and he would hand you a cup of tea and he's just like I'm gonna take you on a trip you've never even imagined she's like what he begins to play Steppenwolf but like <laughs> yeah but literally the tea was Got laced to. with LSD. They had no idea what they were drinking. They took it, and all of a sudden, like one guy Ooh. was saying about how my hands turned into rubber balls. I became incredibly confused, but I was filled with the guru's energy because yeah. the guru was just sitting there, literally being like, "Yeah, man, don't worry, man. Let your anxiety go, bro. No, don't worry, man. <laughs> dude, roll with it, ride with it, dude. Yeah, Every, all colors have reasons. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, and he'd put his hands on their face, and he would stare directly into their eyes, which is." That still same like cult technique right. where, you know, that worldview is narrowing. You're tripping balls Ooh. and you're staring at this chubby man for an hour, two hours. That's how I've got that's how I got Natalie. Yeah. <laughs> now the entire model of this cult, this was a brilliant move on Asahara's part. The entire thing was modeled after the Japanese school system. The constant initiations replaced the constant exams. The levels of enlightenment replaced grades. And most importantly, the all-knowing, all-powerful teacher was replaced by Asahara himself. Because the number one rule in Japanese schools is never question the teacher. Ever. Never think critically about anything he says or anything that you're taught. It's a complete and total like rote memorization uh, educational system. Mm. The school year lasts 240 days, a full third longer than America's school year. Every night is spent doing homework. It's just constant work. And Asahara 
modeled his entire cult on that. And that's why they got tinier phones than we do. <laughs> yep. All that work put in. And also, the reason why we got a little thing called Unit 731. <laughs> Think about it. Yeah, and even though Om Shinrikyo, they never got more than two dozen Americans to believe in their bullshit. Of course not. Well, because we're forthright. We're lazy. That's <laughs> no, why. They're no, like, how much education will it take? George Washington mm. crossed the Delaware. <laughs> he didn't follow a chubby man into a stinky room. No, 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 no. Before you get all fucking high and mighty on this bullshit about how much more clever we are. Oh, the cleverest. <laughs> yeah. No, the only difference between American cults and Japanese cults are the religions that they base themselves on. Mm. Right. You know, like Scientology excluded, most cults are hodgepodges of different religions and belief systems that are cobbled together into something to, that appears new on the surface. You know, it's the answer that, you know, these people that are lost, they're frustrating, a lot of times they're grieving, they hear this answer. It's somewhat familiar. It's got somewhat of a structure that they're used to, and they think that it's going to give their life meaning, but it's right. you know, it's the same old bullshit as always. It's like course. how Hollywood producers put together network sitcoms. <laughs> it's a little something for everybody. Yeah, 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 it's a little something for everybody, and it's all familiar. And but it's, it's, that's how you do, but that's literally how you grow your base. At this yeah. point, what he knows is that w what you need at this point is numbers. Yeah. In order for Om Shinrikyo to have any sort of impact, you need as big of a group as possible. So you you toss in all the elements, mm. and eventually you're going to see he starts putting anime, fully putting on sci-fi shit in there in order to for people to like get attracted to it and be like, I want to be a member of Starfleet. <laughs> and it's the truth. I We're just saying, yeah. I want to be in Starfleet. Yeah, I'd be the class clown. <laughs> but sadly, the class clowns never allowed on the Enterprise. <laughs> mm, no, he sad. doesn't get that posting. What are you talking about? Oh, but you got to keep the. The, what about the the, the, the mentality? Oh, put I him wanna, on the Pegasus. No. I want to be the person who says, Sir, I don't think we should. <laughs> That'd be kind of fun. No, we all know that no good doomsday cult is complete without a compound. And uh. Om Shinrikyo began construction on theirs in 1988 in the foothills of Mount Fuji outside of Tokyo. And unlike Hitler, he had the balls to build his above ground. Mm, nice. <laughs> or lack of common sense. Lack of common mm. sense. Yeah, it started off as just a, a ramshackle collection of windowless warehouses, wooden shacks, prefab trailers surrounded by 10-foot walls, and the place was fucking Filthy. It was constantly infested with roaches because Asahara said to kill the roaches would be to accrue bad karma. Well, that's a part of their. That's a part of their isolationism, though. Is that that's what he said? Is basically they, they also no, no bathing. Yeah, uh, that's true. No, no personal maintenance. It was like a lot of. It was pretty rank. In it there. sounds yeah. pretty about live right, yeah. in there. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It was like the fucking. Uh, I don't know. Like a, a Mumbai playground. In there. <laughs> <laughs> and in another master stroke of profit, Asahara charged $2,000 for week-long meditation seminars in which participants were made to sleep on dirt floors and were served only one meal of boiled vegetables a day. Shoko Ooh, rations. That's bad. what they called them. Yeah, they either called them shoko rations or om food. Boiled vegetables, that's not bad. That's good. Technically, it's very healthy. Yeah, yeah technically, but one meal of boiled vegetables a day. Are I'll you go gonna for three? I want three meals <laughs> of boiled vegetables. But the boiled vegetables themselves—that's not terrible. It's not terrible. Now, while casual Om Shinrikyo followers could get away with giving only a few thousand dollars of their cash, the priesthood was required to give the cult every single. 
asset that they had, which ensured the faithful that they had absolutely nowhere to go. They were locked in, man. Yeah. They cut off all ties with their family. They've given, they give, uh, you know, Am Shinrikyo, they give them all of their assets. They said even down to postage stamps, I they mean, gave to the cult. There's a lot of doubles in there. There must just be a room full of lamps and chairs and couches. <laughs> I mean, doesn't everyone kind of have the same thing? They liquidate it. They Wait, sell, oh, it, sell it off. Yeah, yeah they like would an sell, Amazon yeah. or yeah, something. Yeah, they're not keeping the pinball machines. <laughs> oh, okay. Man, I would have been so upset if I had a whole line of vintage pinball machines and I was just being like, well, I guess you could sell the King Kong one, but that <laughs> oh. took me like three months to get oh. on eBay. Not just, you know, let me just kiss it one last time. Yeah. No. Hideki, I need you to listen to me most forthright. All right? Listen to young Sapien here, how I changed his life. Oh, I can't see, but I have shoes now. That's nice. Now, Asahara also began using other classic mind control techniques. Like Henry said earlier, he limited adherence to a twice-daily diet of unprocessed rice, seaweed, tofu, or again, you know, Ohm food. It was yep. just a, a vegetable stew. No sleep, uh. physical labor. Uh, yeah. They were kept awake for hours at night. It was five hours a night maximum. Yeah, and that's, that's how you break somebody's personality down, is that you make them literally so tired and weak that they're willing to have their life be taken over. And also, this was based off a thing called guru-led yoga. <laughs> this is a thing that has been around for a long time. They're, you, they are used to the guru lifestyle. That's the other thing I think that's different from the East than the West, is that mm-hmm. here it's like, in order, it's like, you know, American and like, our, our mentality is just like, you know, we're individuals. I'm the freest boy who's ever been. I got a flag. I <laughs> got a Derringer. You know, like, Prison industrial <laughs> complex. Think about it. Yeah, it's like all of this shit. But in the in the East, they already have kind of a built-in world where they're used to having like a, a, a guy that they talk to, like a sensei. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And the other thing that they did to really give them a literal hive mentality is they built pretty much a honeycomb of tiny plywood boxes stacked on each other that these people would sleep in. So they were kept in these tiny confined spaces. Uh, They were sleeping five hours a night maximum, and that was the drones. Those are the people on the ground doing all of uh, the bullshit work. The priesthood, they got even less. They only got three hours of sleep a night. And Hmm. then there were the beatings. The smallest act of disobedience resulted in what Asahara called karma disposal, which was an on-the-spot dumping of spiritual baggage achieved through beating the victim with wooden sticks. There was, uh, it was a concept called drop karma that he would call, which is the karma, the bad karma you came in with. And everybody in the group had bad karma except yeah. for Shoko. And so what he would do is this this thing called forced karmic removal where he would beat them in order to make them good again. Yeah. Why not? You see, and they would do things where they'd hang them upside down for hours and they would dip yeah. their heads in cold water and they'd spank them a bunch and huh. some of these men, it was very erotic. Yeah, it sounds <laughs> actually kind of hot. Yeah, but for the rest of them, they were pretty upset. Well, you look at what Johnny Cash, uh, Johnny Cash's father did to him, very similar, and he turned out to be a great musician. He did. Well, pretty weren't talented you, musician. Weren't you beaten by your father? I turned into a great podcast and overall entertainer. Look, he's got a beautiful smile. Yeah. There's hardly there's a I'd say there's a standard two shadows behind his eyes, <laughs> not but bad. not anything too big. No, you can watch me on the Netflix special, The Characters. My <laughs> lines were cut. 
but you can see my face. I kept you in it. I kept you in it. Um, yes. Another thing that they did too, which I found this, this was a concept I really liked from uh, Destroying the World to Save It, was this concept called loading of the language, which you would do this for, for Alm, they would use truth versus defilement. Mm. And they would talk about how within the group, um, it's, it's how you basically create megalomania within a group, which is this basically being like, we're better than everybody else. Yeah. So while all this is going on, he's telling you, we are the truth. Everybody else is riddled with defilement. When I beat you, when I punish you, I am squeezing the defilement out of your toes, my little boys. Right. And that everybody else is, and I'm, and I'm putting truth into you. Yeah. And it was also a very twisted version of karma. Like it was pretty much the opposite of karma. Is that he? He was would, making shit up. He was making shit up, but he flipped karma completely. Where he would say that causing pain to others would actually accrue you good karma. Like, they, he would tell both the people that were being beat and the people doing the beating that they were accruing good karma because they were bringing themselves closer to enlightenment. And it's what he'd eventually use to validate the terrorist attack in 1985. It's a concept called POA. Yeah. It's from a fringe version of Buddhism called Vajrayana. I don't know if that's how you pronounce it. I don't Vajra- think it is. Vajrayana. It. But I'd no. order it with pork. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I got it. I get it, yeah. Um, but an esoteric Buddhist Poa is a spiritual exercise transformed when one is dying, sometimes with the aid of a guru, a transference of consciousness from the bodily earth plane to the after-death plane that enables one to achieve a higher realm in the next rebirth or even passage to the pure land, a step the step prior to nirvana, the waiting room for nirvana. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hmm. And so he took that concept and flipped it and said, well, what you got to do is it's, it's the opposite. It's not like helping someone when they're dying. It's make them die fast. <laughs> yeah. Hurt them. If you hurt them with good in your heart, you're doing good for them. Yeah. And you're keeping them from going down on the wheel of karma. You're keeping them from going to hell. You're actually ascending them. Oh. It's a brilliant rationalization. It really is. Now, serious offenders, the ones that broke the rules the most at the Om Shinrikyo compound, they were locked away in tiny rooms for days on end with only a television playing a tape of Asahara speaking at deafening volume to keep them company. And this punishment had no age limit because... One thing, I don't know if we've made this clear here, but this compound was also full of children. Because he'd take whole families. Yeah, he'd take whole families. One 10-year-old boy said that he was locked in this room for days. And what's also very convenient mm. that he'd separate the men from the women, and the women were not allowed to sleep with what used to be their husbands anymore. But Choku, for some reason, it's, I guess it must have come to him in a vision, said that he could fuck all of them that he wanted in order oh. to make more of them. Now, it's definitely easy to assume that these people... Just a bunch of gullible idiots, right? While they were all definitely gullible, many of the rank and file were actually some of the most brilliant scientific minds in Japan. They were engineers, computer scientists, mm-hmm. biologists, we stole pe- doctors. He, he stole people from the Japanese space program. Yeah, I mean, he's a, he, he was really bringing in these absolutely brilliant minds, but the one thing about him, though... They were book smart. They were yeah, all exactly. book smart look nerds. At, look at Ben Carson. He's a neuroscientist, and the man is <laughs> hes borderline, you know, he yeah, needs special ed treatment. That's a problem. It's just like, you know, as much as, because what does he really need? Technically, he needs a whole clan of pickpocketing orphans that are willing that's what to I want. Yeah. That's what you want. I want the Foot Clan. But the problem is the Foot Clan is hard to organize yeah, yeah, because yeah, they yeah. don't listen to rules. And they're not going into the small room again. <laughs> now, this, you know, these are book smart nerds. These are 
more importantly, sci-fi nerds. They're anime nerds, manga nerds. Like, these are fantasy nerds. And that's where the foundation comes in. And the foundation is a six-part sci-fi book series by Isaac Asimov published Mm. in 1951. The basic plot is that a brilliant mathematician predicts the ruin of civilization, but the galactic government fails to heed his warnings. So the protagonist gathers the best minds of his time to save humanity from itself. Hmm. And once that plot line was added to the religious mix that he already had going on, Om Shinrikyo's apocalyptic vision was finally complete. And another, uh, the the animated television series, actually also the Voyage of the Space Battleship Yamato (laughs) about a massive spaceship named after a huge Imperial Navy battleship that in the last days of World War II made an essentially suicidal foray against the American fleet. Now in this show, this is also a thing that he started building into their entire storyline, is that the show is set in the year 2199 when the Earth, already inundated with radiation pollution in the wake of a nuclear holocaust we did that, is being bombarded Mm. by meteors and attacked by evil aliens aliens from the mysterious planet Gamelis. Earth's only hope is for the Yamato and its crew to venture into space to obtain a Cosmo Cleaner, a technological wonder device to counter nuclear pollution. And he basically yeah. said, we're on Yamato. Yeah. This is so Yamato. So he's got it all. So he's got some nationalism tied in there as well. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Because if you look at Japanese pop culture and Japanese, the comic books and the manga and all of the television was still reeling from how what we did to them. Oh, they were still upset about they that? Were, they, you, but <laughs> it's interesting is that they didn't get so much upset, upset as they got like shamed. Yeah, they were beaten. Right, right, right. They were so they are a beaten nation, and so they infused it into all of their pop culture. And so you're basically watching a, a bunch of people like this is technically the most American. Like Shoko Asahara is like an American in Japan who shows up being like, "We will get revenge," and the way we'll do that is by wearing special spacesuits, and I'll be fucking all the women, but you guys are gonna make some chemical warfare agents. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, and so from of course like the anime that Henry talked about and from the foundation and all this stuff, like, he finally had the Harumageddon blueprint. He finally had the plan. He finally had what he was going to tell people. He said, listen, Harumageddon is happening sooner rather than later, and only you, only Om Shinrikyo will rise from the ashes of nuclear destruction. Also, I've seen Yamato, and it's very boring. Just so you know, I'm <laughs> oh, just going to put right? that out there. And I also have read all of the Foundation books, and they're also a little dry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, Isaac Asimov's a little dry. Read Philip K. Dick. I like Asimov. Asimov's short stories are better than his his full-time books, but that's me. Read J.G. Ballard if you want something really interesting. Now, as soon as scientists were established as the ruling class in Om Shinrikyo, Light human experimentation would not be far behind. Light, but light, light, just dabble, just light. a little bit of a dabble. Now, their first project <laughs> was a device called the Perfect Salvation Initiation, or PSI for short. Now, the PSI was a skull cap that every few minutes sent a six-bolt shock to the brain of the person wearing it. And by the way, you'll be happy to know that the ones that the children wore, they only got three volts. Uh, the I'm, Mormons, not ha- I'm not happy. Yeah. <laughs> the Mormons are still doing this at Brigham Young to uh, gay conversion therapy. It yeah. doesn't do anything. No. Why do we think this shit does stuff? Yeah, no idea. Electricity is not good for the brain. No. And it was said that these shocks synchronized the cultist brain waves with that of Shoko Asahara 
horrors and would induce the, quote, blissful meditative state that the master himself feels every second. No, the reason why he feels a blissful meditative state is because he's fucking ripped up on LSD 24-7. <laughs> and he's sitting in a bathtub and he's just like, I'm sitting in gold. He's like Scrooge McDuck when, he's, when he swims through his he's pennies. Literally, he's literally sitting in money. He's surrounded by money, getting blown all the time. He has a fleet of scientists that are building a spaceship for him. Yeah. You know what? I think I'm going to start cultivating my ass hair. <laughs> now, this stupid fucking skull cap, which was just pretty much a, a portable... It was a flappy hat. It, it wasn't even a hard helmet. No. It wasn't even a Daft Punk cool helmet. <laughs> it was a flappy thing. Yeah, it was a flappy thing, like covered in electrodes. It would be the cult's number one moneymaker. Now, full, oh full-time monks who'd already given up their entire lives to the cult, they got theirs for free. Naturally. Nice. 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 Yeah, they got them nice. for free. But the lower-ranking members, they had to rent the hats for $7,000 a month. Rent it. Rent You it. don't even buy rent. it. No, but if you wanted to buy it outright... $70,000. wealthy were his followers? They, well, they seem to have unlimited amounts of money. Well, they actually, these, well, like I said earlier, you know, Japan was in the middle of an economic boom. Remember in the 80s when we all thought the Japanese were going to eat us alive? No. Okay. Well, I, mean, I remember. We all thought, <laughs> no, we never thought the Japanese were going to eat us alive. No, we're we absolutely, no, we absolutely we were into Economic, the Japanese. Economically, we were terrified of the Japanese. Uh, so there was a ton of disposable income going around Japan at the time. Also, we we didn't really bring up, but it's the truth. When the emperor fell, the, at that time, the Japanese, uh, the scientist class was one of the most like it was the highest class in the country. Like it was like they were like they were making good cash. Yeah. Yeah. they tr- they appreciate appreciated their scientists, not like us, yeah. where we pay scientists like we pay teachers. No, I feel terrible for really smart people in this country because it's dumb. <laughs> You're not going to make mobile. cash. Yeah. No. yeah. And the other thing about the uh, the cash and the disposable income, since everybody had all of this cash and it was somewhat new, how Asahara was able to kind of flip that around is he would tell them that the reason why you feel empty inside is because you have all of this wealth. This wealth oh. is giving you nothing. Yeah. This wealth is what is wow. making you empty. You're spending all this time working uh, on cash. But for what? When you could be working, building 10-foot walls in my shitty compound. Mm. <laughs> wow. So he Kurt Cobained them. Kurt Cobained them. He like, got in there, and they were like, now that I'm a rock star, I hate it. Yeah, that's true. Uh, 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 all I don't think Kurt Cobain really gave, uh, took any, well, I guess he took a little bit of money. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he took a fair amount. Uh, I'm sad, Courtney. Yes, I'm glad you said. This is the worst you've ever done. <laughs> so by 1988, the cult's devotion to Asahara had reached a fever pitch, and there was no greater sin than a member could commit than trying to leave the guru's love. And those who wanted to leave were deemed merely confused and in need of guidance. Oh, you see you mean hung upside down and electroshocked and beaten a bunch. That was their favorite method of guidance. Ah. Yeah, yeah. They dunk these people's heads in freezing water because they said it would, quote, remove heat from the head, which interfered with their mental acuity. Mm. Yeah. They killed a guy. Oh, no they way. Did. It, wasn't, it wasn't long before this method turned extremely deadly. It's the first death that was on their hands that we know of, at least, 
This guy, they dunked his head in water over and over again. He developed hypothermia, and he died. Well, you can't just play human popsicle and, and, <laughs> and have everybody live? Human yeah. popsicle's a fun game when you're in Wisconsin and everyone's used to the cold. Right, that's true. No, these are people, also you're looking at, they're physically weak. Yeah. They're literally underfed, they're underslapped, they're literally exhausted. And they're nerds. They started off as nerds. They're weak, they already had wedgie calluses. <laughs> They got weak blood. <laughs> yeah, could be, could be. Yeah, and so after this guy died, one of his close friends at the compound, he got pissed um, off. This is, like, way not cool, <laughs> yo, so I'm going to, like, tell somebody yeah, about it. Well, he was one yeah, of the right? mountain wizard holdovers. Yes. Yeah, so he was already, these guys were already starting to get disillusioned with where this whole cult was going. So, so what happened? So they let this guy leave the cult, right, and go talk to the police about what happened there so that they, they would have a clean slate? Strangled him with the rope. Oh. All right, so the first death, to be fair, was on accident. It yeah. was an accident. Oh, yeah, like John Wayne Gacy. <laughs> no, no, I think, well. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And, so, and so, but you know what? So it took four members of, of Alm Shinrikyo to strangle him with a rope. And do you want to know why? Because also they were so physically weak from having been eaten is that they couldn't strangle him long enough to kill him. Jesus. He was thrashing. They tied him into a chair. The first guy was one of the most loyal things. Be like, I will, I will poa you. Because that's what he said. Basically, anytime he wanted to get rid of somebody that was a yeah. from now on, he'd be like, poa him. Yeah. Like, release his karma. And so they would go in the room. And he, the first guy was his most loyal servant. Try to strangle him. And it was like, eh, like Pee Wee Herman did. <laughs> where he was like, his wrists were too weak to strangle him. And then they all took turns strangling him until finally died from being exhausted by being strangled for yeah, too long. Yeah, just get on with it. <laughs> yeah, and after they strangled him, they stuffed the victim's body in a metal drum, covered the body in gasoline, and left it to burn. And Asahara, the entire time this body was burning, Asahara, he kept coming and checking on the status of it. He's like, is it burn yet? Is it yeah. burn yet? Understandably, paranoid, because they had just committed their very first murder. Wait, let me do the hand check. If you touch the innermost part of your palm, it means it's at a medium rare. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you get closer to the tip of your thumb, it is welt. Oh, it's just a burning skeleton? Good job, yeah. my sapiens. This reminds me of a family story. May I tell it? Oh, yeah. is this about, is this about your sh- German grandfather? No, no, it's not. I was fishing with my father in Lake Dubay. Okay, so we caught our first fish, and it was a keeper, so we kept it. We brought it home. He laid it down in the front yard, and it kept on flapping. And my dad was just like, it's not dead. What do I do? So he would go inside for 20 minutes, come out, and the, the fish was still flapping. He's like, what do I do? He felt so bad. You got, you got to beat it and cut its head off. That's what you do. But he felt so bad, so it took about two hours. This was a very dramatic Sunday. Going in and out of the house, looking at the bird, or the fish Jesus still flapping. Christ. We ended up burying the damn thing in the backyard. What are you talking about? Swear to God, my father could not kill. He just he just killed the fish for nothing. Yeah, he I didn't eat it. I mean, that's the sad thing. We buried it. Did a little prayer. Unbelievable. He was so stressed about the fish that was flapping. You got to cut its head off. Oh God! But he couldn't oh, do God. it. He was, you know, trying to be different than his father. Yeah. That's uh, <laughs> <laughs> true. So, so this guy's body. After 10 hours, it finally burned away, so they scooped up the ashes and unceremoniously dumped it underneath a bush, and this man would be the first of dozens to be killed in the name of Ohm Supreme Truth. Yes, and they oh definitely killed, they killed up to 80 just personally, and we're going to get into the... Oh, yeah. Amazing. All right, that's the first episode. I have, to st- I have to look up the name again here. 
Um, it is um Shinrikyo. Yeah, pretty yeah, good. Yeah, you're pretty really good. doing um, good. Shinrikyo. See, I've been practicing it all week, so no, I, I was can make practicing sure I on the, Yeah, I was on the subway. Oh, I was like, um, um Shinrikyo. Um Shinrikyo. Um Shinrikyo. Um, all right, I, uh, part thank one. Thank God finished. this episode's over because I've held so much of this information in my head for the last couple of days. And so again, we're, we're gonna get, there's a really great documentary called Zero Hour. It's a documentary series, and one of these is about them releasing the sarin gas. Mm. And so. I watched this and was reading about what happens with the sarin gas. So you're going to get to this. You're going to. We're going to get to this point and say, and it's fucked what sarin does to people. The oh, Nazis just, made they it. They turn them inside out. Yeah, it's that. terrible. Um, I was reading all about this, and then I go to get on the train. I'm just like, fuck. <laughs> like literally, I get on the train, be like, God damn it! Like yeah. I'm just. You forgot your sarin gas. Yeah. yeah oh even, yeah. no, I'll Isn't... never get the true leader's love. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. All right, that's part one. Yeah. Cult. I, uh, I very much have to thank uh, research assistants on this one. I got to thank uh, Meg, Meg Beaverhausen. I got to thank new research assistant April Bennett, yes. who really kicked ass on uh, this one. I also got to thank uh, George out at Midtown Scholar and everyone over at Midtown Scholar for uh, sending us these amazing books. Yeah, and this book is the shit. Amazing books. But yeah. you got the good one. You got the storybook one. I got the technical one. Yeah. And it is driving me nuts. Yeah, I totally. got notes written in this thing. I've been doing homework. Yeah. It's I get, good though. Yeah, I get the cult at the end of the world. Yeah, yeah you got what's yours called? Destroying the world to save it. I have the cult at the end of the world. Yeah, yo. Very yeah. cool. Uh, oh, and also I want to thank uh Dustin Graham for sending us the amazing uh old magazines. Like say, he sent us an old life magazine that has a bunch of JFK conspiracy theories in it. Yeah. And I also want to thank A Sound of Thunder, the metal band that sent us a couple of copies oh, of their no. record, The Lesser Key of Solomon. Woo. I love the way the record looks. If it That's sounds awesome. half as good as it looks, I'll love it too. One minuscule clawed from the ranks of slime, condemned to pay for every mortal crime. A soul so loathsome, even demons tremble. His name is Misery, depraved. Divide. I'm afraid awesome. that's going to make me shoot up my school. <laughs> <laughs> well, it will not. Uh, uh, and also thanks Sarah Richard who sent the lovely drawings that we got in the mail the other day. They were very it's sweet and nice. It's very sweet and nice. Yes, yeah. thank you all for everything. Yeah, absolutely. And <laughs> That's good, right? Jesus Christ. Thank, thank you, you all for everything. You sound yeah. scary. Yeah, it just sounds yeah. like you say that just before you jump off a building. <laughs> <laughs> His final words were, thank you all for everything. Uh, and if you guys want to uh, help us out, go to patreon.com slash last podcast on the left to give. We've gotten such an amazing response. And I will uh, go ahead and say this. This week, thanks to uh, everyone's help, I paid off my credit card debt. Hmm. Ten just, years I've been paying off I that piece of I should do that. Nah, dude, it's overrated. Marcus is being a nerd. Well, I heard they were bringing back <laughs> debtors' prison. So. Nah, they'll never do that. Debtors are the funnest people. Right? Even if they do, all the debtors are us. Yeah, no, so yeah it'll be a groovy true. good time. We'll just change the yeah. We'll just change where the cool people are. Yeah. 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 And if you want your very own last podcast on the left T-shirt, go to uh, CaveComedyRadio.com/slash/merch. And while you're there, go and check out uh, a lot of our other uh, amazing shows. I was just on the iTunes top 300 list. There, we are crushing it. We're CCR doing it. is doing amazing. Push it. Push it. Pushing it. Thank Thanks so much for supporting Enabling It's Top Bat. For the political news, follow that roundtable of gentlemen. If you want to feel like you're getting drunk with some friends, page seven for entertainment news. Yeah, me and Jackie, uh, Jackie Zabrowski doing page seven. Why are you doing finger guns or finger phasers? Yeah, I'm doing finger, well, finger phasers. I do finger phasers when I'm happy. 
Page Seven's a wonderful show. It's with Molly Neville and Jackie Zabrowski, and I also do a mental health advice show with Jackie Zabrowski, Sex, Not the Human Activity. What better person to get mental health from <laughs> than the main researcher for the last podcast <laughs> on the left? I know they're mine. Uh, and follow us on Instagram at LP on the left, and me if you give a shit at Dr. Fantasty. Yeah. Um, and, and do on Twitter. Twitter. Yep. Uh, Henry loves you. Marcus Parks, I'm at Ben Kissel. Go check out my uh, music show, Lucky Bone Show, over on MixCloud.com slash Marcus Parks. Keep watching the character special. I guess it's going to be there for the rest of fucking time. Just I don't know. Give yeah. it five stars. Just five stars. Do something. Five Help stars. Us. Help us yeah. all. We're trying. We're yeah. working. We're, we're working too hard. Hail yourselves. Hail Satan. Hail Gein. Megust. 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 You're welcome for liking us. <laughs> no, congratulations. Oh, congratulations for liking us. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to cavecomedyradio.com. This is Comedy Bang Bang, the podcast, the promo, and in 30 seconds, I'm going to tell you why you should check out the show. I, the host, Scott Aukerman, have a lighthearted conversation with famous celebrities like John Hamm, Allison Williams, Phoebe Bridgers, Bob Odenkirk, just to name a few. Things go a little off the rails when different eccentric characters drop by to be interviewed as well. Each week is a blend of conversations and character work from your favorite comedians as well as some new hilarious voices. Comedy Bang Bang, the podcast. Listen every Monday wherever you get your podcasts. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home.